0: Hello, and welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast, where we talk about tennis by connecting the present of the sport with its storied past, be it the nuanced unpacking of the individual stories, long-form interviews, or the detailed tour-level analysis, we have you covered.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemek. Sakib Ali uh, is producing the show, uh, but but I'll be hosting, and we bring in our in-house expert always a delight to bring him in at any point in time but especially when there's a grand slam tournament about to start a little draw preview going over the main storylines uh for uh any major tournament but this time it's the 2024 Australian Open first of the year and uh always an exciting time in tennis as you know we've had players uh, having you know multi-month off seasons, and we get to find out you know who has who has retooled his or her game, who has found a, a measure of uh, refreshment, which players have recuperated uh, from injuries in the second half of uh, 2023 and are ready to give it a lash uh, at the start of 2024. So many storylines in the air, and we turn to Andrew Burton, no one better. Uh, to tee things up for the 2024 Australian Open Preview Show here at Tennis with an Accent. Andrew, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Um, thanks for joining the show. And just without any further ado, just some initial impressions of the draw, of the off season, of ma- things that you identify as significant stories uh, heading into... Uh, our our fortnight in Melbourne to start the tennis season once again.
0: Hi Matt, happy New Year to you. Uh, yes, we're doing we're, we're doing this again. Uh, we've got. Uh, I think uh, is it a Sunday start this year for the Australian Open or a Monday start? How I I'm I'm still so discombobulated by Christmas that. Uh, I don't know if we're if we're uh, a dozen hours away from the start of the tournament or, or 36 hours away, but whatever it is, it's it's close enough that we can taste it. So the the stories there there are several stories on the men's side. Uh, unfortunately, Rafael Nadal uh, had to pull out. and We can spend a bit of time. Looking ahead to his 2024, which by all accounts may be the last season in an absolutely storied career, but I think that the ATP is, is going through a transition. Now, the question that hangs over the ATP, as it has done for almost a decade now, is do we move out of the Big Three era? The the last representative from the Big Three era in the tournament is Novak Djokovic. Many of our listeners will have heard of him. And I think he goes into the tournament with just a tiny question mark hanging over his head in terms of fitness. But if he is fit and if he's rested and ready to go, then he's on many people's draw sheets a favorite to make the final and potentially win it as he has done so many times before on the the women's side you've got um maybe the return of the queen if you're on twitter you'll have seen ben rothenberg avidly promoting his story uh his new book about naomi osaka four-time grand slam champion and mother now who's now Uh, back on tour and ready to to take on the best. And you have rivalries now, a go-go, on the WTA side as some of the past champions are taking part. But potential winners are are the the top seeds going to go deep this year because, as we sometimes say, the, the WTA is has been historically, at least for the last decade or so, a sort of an any given Saturday uh, division where players that you, you've never heard of, like Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez at the US Open a couple of years back, will will make it to the final. So is this a year for the WTA where we start to see the the established top seeds playing each other in the semifinals and finals? Or does the WTA still throw up uh, players that that many of us look at and go, wait a second, where did she come from, like Vondrasova last year? So so lots to talk about.
1: And we'll get into deeper storylines and and more of the big picture uh, uh, assessments from you at the Austrian Open. But, you know, first things first, literally, um, the first round this is one of the best first round draws I've seen uh you know on a draw sheet at, at any rate we'll see if the matches live up uh to the billing, but so many tantalizing fascinating first round encounters you have Dominic team against Felix oje aliasim, Sitsipas Berrettini, um Shelton Bautista, Diminar Raunich, Tiafo uh, chorich um and that's just the men's side and you know you have uh, the blockbuster between Caroline Garcia and Naomi Osaka uh, on the women's side and you have Iga Swiatek not so much a first round but like Iga Swiatek e- each round of the tournament for her is loaded like you and you have a, da- a Danielle Collins uh Angelique Kerber first round match and the winner uh plays Swiatek or uh, you know assuming Swiatek does win her first round match that would be a a second rounder. So Andrew, where do we start in terms of your most interesting first round matches? So much to choose from, which matches are you going to be looking at uh, and focusing on in this loaded first round of the Australian Open?
0: Yeah. You've mentioned several of the ones that, that, that I had had written down Uh, Fiontech cannon uh, is it, I think that's a blockbuster first round match for a number one seed. And sometimes if a number one seed is eliminated early, it's written up as a shock and an upset and I think uh Igor Sviantek finished last season superbly uh winning the the slightly um slightly cursed tour finals uh in Cancun but she looked very good then. We'll we'll see what she does now. She she nearly took Poland to a United Cup when uh, Her partner Hubi Hercats was match points from clinching the the United Cup, but it but they eventually fell to to Germany. So 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 eager comes in with with matches under her belt, uh, and I I'd have her. Uh, marked to continue. As you say, her her draw is absolutely loaded. Uh, matches that you didn't mention, uh, Elena Rybakina plays Karolina Pliskova, and that's not a gimme, I don't think. Uh, those of us uh, who still claim some British heritage are looking at the return to tournament play of Emma Kardin. And she is up against the veteran Shelby Rogers. So, again, that one could go either way. We'll see whether, not so much just at the Australian Open, but over the course of the season, Raducano is able to stay fit and whether she's able to to go deep enough in enough tournaments to make her way into main draws by right. I, I would... Imagine that the 2024 season for Raducanu is really about re-establishing herself as as a player who can compete at the top level consistently enough to to give herself a hope of being able to compete at the in the last rounds of of big tournaments. Uh, Paula Badosa is taking on Taylor Townsend. T- Townsend. Something now of a double specialist, possibly, but uh, is going to look at that one and say, OK, I've got a, a, a strong puncher's chance here. And then uh, in the the tennis balls go ouch category for the, the WTA, uh, Camilla Georgi against Victoria Azarenka. Uh, after three or four games, the balls are going to be hoping for a ball change there. So those those are some of the matches that that I had pendles in, in addition to the Garcia Osaka match, which is going to be fascinating.
1: Yeah. So any let's deal with that one. Any sense of where Naomi Osaka's game might be, and in terms of uh, accumulated rust and and how the dynamics of that particular situation factor in here? Um, You know, obviously, you know she won't be. She won't be worn down, you know, like, like, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, court speed and, and uh other, other things we might look at in terms of, you know, being able to play the match with, a, with full energy, that shouldn't be a problem, but obviously rust and and form and timing, you know, th- those might be lacking. And then of course, Garcia, um, that, that, the match, I mean, Naomi Osaka has four major titles and yet this match might depend on what we see from Garcia, just because, you know, she's been playing the tour uh, more regularly and like it it will be up to her in terms of, you know, playing with the consistency that forces a perhaps rusty Osaka uh, to come up with something special, something she might not be ready to do just yet as she tries to get back into a rhythm, how do you weigh those various kinds of
0: factors? Yeah, so Osaka did participate in one of the warm-up tournaments in in Brisbane and uh, played Pliskova, uh, lost in three sets, won the first set, lost the second in a tiebreak, competed hard in the third set, said it was – Whenever the the two of them play, that it's a bit of a grind. Uh, so she's got, you know, obviously both uh, veterans, Pliskova and Osaka have have got the the pedigree. Uh, I think it it it's more about repetitions. Famously, in twenty seventeen, you had both Nadal and Federer. Make finals after time off, uh recuperating from injuries and and, and retuning. So, could Osaka make a deep run? Yes. Uh, is that something that you would you would put money on? Probably not. There's there's also the the complications of of being a mother and adapting to that on the tour. So. I think that Osaka is a proven competitor and it, you know, it's, it's really getting the reps in it's getting, getting matches under her belt, understanding what she needs to work on and then seeing how long it takes for her to click.
1: Having gone over some first round matches, uh, at, at this tournament and you know for me just I'll just speak very briefly I think uh, Sitsipas Berrettini uh that's impossible to look away from as a as a real high-end match. Um you know both guys have played in major finals and you know we we know that while Sitsipas is the uh top ten seed Berrettini has been a great major tournament player all the times that he consistently works his way into the rank Round of sixteen, and he is a best of five uh, exemplar in terms of you know be, knowing that format, being able to marshal his energies uh, in those longer matches. Um, so, so that I find that match uh, to be particularly interesting. Um, but you know we, we've mentioned a, a number of these battles, but now as we look at the draws in in each tournament, I know that you. Uh, are very keen on framing a major tournament, not just this one, but any major tournament, on this fundamental question: How are the top seeds going to uh, live up to their seeding? You know, are they going to be able to get as far as as they should? Uh, are they going to take advantage of the opportunities there? Are they going to survive the early round challenges, which will enable them to play up to their seeding? So, you know, if you're top eight. Do you make sure to get to the quarters? If you're top four, are you getting to the semis? And if you're top two, are you playing in the final uh, at the end of January uh, on on, uh, the court at Rod Laver Arena? So let's start with the women uh, and the top eight seeds there. Um, Of those top eight seeds, which ones are you particularly focused on in terms of measuring their growth, measuring their evolution? Or perhaps in Coco Goff's case, it's not so much about evolving, but more about sustaining after winning Mm -hmm. the U.S. Open and and attaining a a new place on tour, becoming more of a target. Um, So you could talk about sustaining, you could talk about reestablishing, renewing. Which of the the top eight seeds are you particularly looking at uh, on the women's side at the Australian Open?
0: so we've already mentioned uh igor friantec and she i think of all of the potential uh seeds at the tournament is is facing the biggest murderer's row so we we've mentioned that that her second round match if she gets past kennan is potentially against Danielle Collins, who's uh, a previous finalist in Melbourne, or Angelique Kerber, who is a multi-time Grand Slam champion. So no gimmies there. And then you you get into the seeds and she's got uh, Elena Spitalina in her section, Kuna and Buzkova. So if Scriantek does live up to her seeding and make it through to the quarterfinal stage, then she's potentially up against Vondrosova. Uh, in Vondrosova's section, you've got Navara, Azarenka, and Yelena Ostapenko, who is kind of like the human hand grenade, I think, uh, it, when you look at WTA draws. So, just, uh, you know, spoiler alert, giving away my take on the whole WTA draw, I have the four top uh, seeds, Sviantek, Rybakina, Goff and Sabalenka, down to make the quarters, and asterisks against uh, the other uh, top eight seeds, the five through eight, Vondrosova, Pagula. Sakari uh, and Anjoubeur, but with the WTA, and you're, you're you're never quite sure which of the seeds are, are potentially going to make it through. But if you if you're looking at any of the the eight top seeds and the draws that they have, Sriontek's the one where I think she, I'm sure Eager is uh, full of confidence, being the number one seed, being the the champion that she is, but that that's one where she probably did a few extra reps on the the the, the training court just to make sure that, that she's ready for this one
1: it, it's impossible to ignore the the uh, the the potentiality of another Shviontek Ostapenko match and Ostapenko has been kryptonite for Shviontek any sense that Schwieger is ready to to break that duck uh, at, at this tournament? If they do meet, and 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 regardless of whether you think Schwieger is ready, what's the what's the thing that uh, Schwieger needs to uh, unlock? What's the what's the barrier that she has to get past when dealing with Ostapenko? Uh, mindful of you know what uh, Ostapenko did to her
0: last year. Yeah, I mean, what you, I think with Ostapenko, I wonder, I'm trying to remember if it was Jeff Sackman who who did an analysis of Ostapenko, or if it was somebody else, basically looking at the the winners to unforced errors ratio. And the thing with Ostapenko is, you almost have to take the racket out of her hands Uh, because if the ball is coming somewhere near her racket she's going to hit it hard at a small target and if it lands in it's a winner and if it doesn't then it's likely an unforced error so if fiantek is able to find ways of playing consistent first strike tennis that allows her to to hit her own winners and keep the keep the ball away from Ostapenko's racket. I mean, I I just don't know playing Ostapenko, whether trying to grind her down is going to work. So potentially you're, you're looking at the game plan now. If Svantec is in the quarterfinals and has four matches under her belt against fairly strong opposition, then her own sense of where her game is and what what she's able to do is going to be locked in. So maybe that's part of the answer there.
1: I'm looking at this draw, Andrew, and I'm seeing very few impediments and uh, obstacles for a blockbuster semifinal between Coco Goff and Ar- Arena Sabalenka. You know the two players who met in the U.S. Open. Uh, final. Do you see things the same way, or do you think that there are some landmines uh, that could really get in the way of that potential semifinal?
0: No, I think you're right, Matt. Uh, that's those two I have as as check marks for the the quarterfinals. Uh, in Coco Golf section, you've got whoever comes through the first round match between Caroline Garcia and Naomi Osaka. So if Osaka has a few matches under her belt and makes it through the quarterfinal stage, that's going to be uh, a a big one, assuming that she meets Coco Gauff. Uh, Apart from those, I think... Goff is, is now beginning to give the impression that she knows what to do to go deep in the big tournaments uh, on a consistent basis. She's been one of the players who has been marked down for for three years now as future Grand Slam champion. She now enters... Melbourne as Grand Slam champion and so uh, you know I think that she's now starting to talk in terms of not just I want to win Grand Slams but I want to have uh, double digit Grand Slams. I I can look out at a decade or more in front of me and think in terms of why not me as as, as one of the elite players of the sport that people are going to remember Sabalenka is much more stable now in terms of again assessing that she can get through the draws to the semi-finals and 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 final stage what I don't think Sabalenka has has yet done is is put together a a long run of getting to finals and and converting, and as, as you said at the the U.S. Open, she was she was pegged back by Goff. That the Goff managed to fight her way back into the match, and Sabalenka in the end didn't have the answers. And that's the You know, one of the last things that that Sabalenka might learn, so that she becomes someone who has 6 7 maybe double digit slams by the end of her career it's, it it is is there anyone who's who's going to have an air of inevitability around them it used to be the case i think for the wta maybe 4 or 5 years ago that there were promising players and promising rivalries and but we weren't seeing those potential double digit slam holders but now as you look across the draw you, you you have several players i think who can think in those terms and then a few others who potentially say well this could be my this could be my tournament this could be my year and jaba uh jessica Pagulus. so who knows
1: you know hearing you talk and 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 then listening to the names that you mentioned you know we we've saw we've seen several of the players you just mentioned uh Sabalenka also jabur also Pagula like they all had huge opportunities to do something special last year at the majors uh at you know to varying degrees at varying levels you know Pagula making uh uh you know a run into a major semifinal and and Sabalenka having uh, these finals and semifinals, in which she was right there, and you know she lost to uh, Mukova uh, at the French after being up uh, late. Um, it, for 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 these players who came so close to significant achievements uh, last season on a number of levels, I mean, you know, Sabalenka winning in Melbourne, but you know she had chances to stack some more majors and let them slip away. You know, Pagula with, uh, you know, losing that late lead to uh, Vondrosova um, at Wimbledon, you know, in a a match that she was controlling for a while. Um, Of those players, do you see one of them as like really needing a breakthrough this year? Or, you know, does tennis not necessarily work like that? I mean, you could say that, you know, you don't get opportunities all the time in life. Need to pounce on them when they arrive. You know, if if one of one or all of those players that I've mentioned uh, don't break through uh, on another level this year, you know, like do you think that you know, like, there could be a a, a a maybe not necessarily a decline, but it could be a situation where we look back and say, you know what, they missed their moment, they missed their chance to really ride the wave uh, and and attain a higher level of tennis achievement and tennis stardom. It, do, you, do you sense that there's a, that kind of dynamic with any of those players I, I, I referred to?
0: Hard to say. Ingebe, uh, in the last couple of years or so has established herself as someone who can make it deep, but uh, has has had heartbreak. Does she have two or three more years of, of top-level competition almost certainly given the way that, that players' career arcs go now. Uh, but there are a couple of players who I was sort of looking for in the draw and then realising that they weren't there. Uh, Bianca Andrescu and uh, Karolina Mukova, uh, both of them missing the Australian Open this year with injury. So I, I think that the, the the top level of the women's game is, is becoming kind of stacked. And, and one of the things that, again, you wait to see is, are one or two of them going to potentially separate themselves from the field? We had thought, I think, uh, looking at the, the draws for Wimbledon and for the US Open last year, that there was kind of a nascent big three among the women, Sviantek, Sabalenka, and Rubakina. And then that didn't really play out in the way that Wimbledon and the U.S. Open turned out on the WTA side. Now you've got Coco Goff, you've got the return of Naomi Osaka, you've got the, the, the two injured players that I that I mentioned. So to the extent that this is a transition year in, in the WTA, I think, one of the storylines is going to be, are we going to see a separation from the pack of the very, very top players? And one of the things that I remember uh, many years ago at Indian Wells was Juan Martin del Potro talking of himself as being in something of a peloton of, of riders. If you think of a, about a cycling analogy chasing the top players and, Potentially being, you know, one of the the top chasers, but the top the, the top players were further ahead. And for a while in the ATP, you had a big three slash big four, putting Murray in among Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. Uh, I think a question for the WTA is: Is this the year that we see one or two or even three of the top players really establish themselves, or? Uh, is it still you're, you're looking on uh, the Saturday match a couple of weeks from now and saying, Hmm, I didn't see that one coming.
1: It's definitely going to be fascinating. Uh, any, any final notes for the women before we go over to the men, any uh, storylines we uh, haven't covered quite as much. I mean, uh, we haven't mentioned Elena Rabakina that much, or at least we didn't go into details with her. And, you know, uh, like she set a very high standard in the first half of 2023, but really then injuries set in, it was less about, you know, losing any competitive chops. It was more about how, you know, her shoulder was just heavily, uh, wrapped up and she was not physically, uh, 100%. Um, any sense that, that she'll get right back on the bicycle and, uh, reestablish herself at the start of 2024 the way she did at the start of 2023?
0: Yeah. So she, she participated in Adelaide. Uh, she lost to Alexandrova uh, in, in straight sets in, in the quarterfinals there. Uh, I, I, I think she comes in with tailwinds and, uh, and if she leaves twenty twenty four without another major title, I'll I'll be surprised.
1: And, and and you know, we had that big three, you know, in the first half of twenty twenty three we had that big three of Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina. It'll be fascinating to see if that is the big three that emerges or if there's another big three or As you've alluded to, if any big three uh, emerges and we see um, women's matchups and women's players uh, separate themselves from the pack, it's definitely going to be a major storyline at the Australian Open and carrying into the 2024 tennis season. All right, let's go to the men. And and, and as we consider, you know, of the top eight seeds, which ones are going to live up to their seedings? My first General observation, Andrew, is that I think this draw, this bracket, is wonderfully balanced. Uh, I think that the the way these different uh, t- top eight seeds stack up, I think I think we could be in for some sensational quarterfinals if these top eight seeds are all able to get there. You know, Alexander Zverev, let's be honest, he's not a popular player uh, for podcasters such as ourselves to talk about just because of the off-court uh, problems that he's had and the controversies he's been enmeshed in just, he's, you know, his popularity on tour has taken a big hit for that reason. So, you know, fans, listeners don't like uh, too much talk about Zverev, but, you know, just in terms of his ability to compete and just in terms of sizing him up as a contender you know, he was in the thick of things for several years. And, of course, his his injury that derailed him uh, for quite some time came in a match where, you know, if he had still been able to uh, remain standing, if that, that injury had not occurred against Rafa uh, in the Roland Garros semifinals, you know, he was the young buck on the court there, and that match had already gone on an insanely long amount of time, Zverev was in position to win, you know, a five-hour four-set or five-set uh, match if if that injury had not happened. Like, so he, you know, he has been on the cusp of winning a major. Of course, you know, the, the, the most uh, famous or perhaps infamous example was that very nervy 2020 U.S. Open final that Dominic team was able to snatch at the bitter end, Um, But, you know, so after the injury rehab and after that process of working his way back on tour, again, fans aren't enamored of him. But just in terms of being a quality competitor, you know, Zverev has given Carlos Alcaraz problems. And so the fact that they're both in the same quarter, that strikes me as a particularly fascinating uh, potential quarterfinal. And if you go through the other projected quarterfinals, Andrew... You know, Danil Medvedev against Holger Runa in the latter half of last season, you wouldn't have regarded it as any sort of a contest. But the thing about Runa is that, you know, his body was worn down. We all knew it. We all saw it. But now coming to Melbourne, you know, Runa has a fresh uh, fuel tank. So that it it, it casts that particular projected quarterfinal uh, in a different light. And then you have Sinner versus Rublev in a possible uh, quarterfinal. So I, I find these qu- potential quarterfinals, if they materialize, uh, to be very balanced. But, of course, Andrew, the question becomes, will these guys get there? Will these guys uh, avoid the landmines in the first week of the tournament? Of these eight seeds, which players are you looking at in particular? And uh, w- which uh, players do you feel... Um, have a a little bit extra urgency as we start the tennis
0: season. So working our way up from the bottom, which is, I think, a useful framing of it. I don't think there's a a true murderer's row as you had for uh, Igor Sviantek on the the WTA draw. Uh, But when you look at the the potential bottom quarter with if it goes on seedings Zverev against alcaraz you you have some potentially uh tricky matches there and and one that that could come about in the third round that that i'm looking at is uh Jiri Lehechka, who's uh seeded to meet uh sasha zverev so zverev's One of the knocks against Verev in the last few years when it comes to playing in majors is that he could make it to the round of 16 or the quarterfinal stage, but he'd have so many additional sets under his belt by the time that he got there that there was less left in his physical and mental tank. And Lehechka was a quarter finalist last year. One of the, the surprise sort of breakout players of the tournament uh, went down to Stefanos Tsitsipas, who, who made the final. But I think Lehechka is, is is putting together a resume that is is pushing him towards top 20 and at, at some stage, top 10 status. So, if it goes with seeding, then that's a match to, to look out for uh, in the the bottom quarter. Uh, Zverev, I, I just look at how he did in the United cup, which is a, a different kind of animal. It's not quite the same as the old Hopman cup because it's, it's now much more of a team event, but coming through there saving match points, uh, winning the the doubles with uh uh Siegmund in to to make it uh, Germany's championship does that act as, as a springboard for Zverev does he come in i think he was serving particularly well in that tournament and that's that's always one of the 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 things that marks out zverev is he, is he getting lots of first serve free points is a second serve holding up under pressure? So if he makes it through to the quarterfinals, then he's he's got the win at his back. Alcaraz has Bublik, uh, Tommy Paul, and Jan at Struff in the the other seeds in his one eighth of the draw, and this year he he actually shows up. We're hoping that he will take the court in Melbourne. And I, I think I'm ready to see Carlos be someone who you pencil in for semi-finals uh, in the way that you would pencil in Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, and Murray for semi-finals uh, about ten years ago. There, there was a period where you would have. Very often, three out of those four would be competing in the semi-finals of majors on a consistent basis. So I, I've got a tick against Carlos Alcaraz. I've I've actually got an asterisk against Zverev for the Lehechka match. I, I'm 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 interested to see how that one potentially plays out. So then you get to uh, the quarterfinal, the third quarterfinal, which is Runa versus Medvedev. And, you know, both of those players have uh, interesting storylines going with them. Uh, Medvedev, former finalist in Australia, uh, famously uh, allowed Nadal to slip out of his clutches. Or if you prefer to, to write the storyline this way, that Nadal basically uh, refused to lose and, and played a fabulous Five-set match to to win the crown in Melbourne, the long-awaited crown in Melbourne. Uh, on Medvedev's side of the draw, you have uh, a an apparently revitalised Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, from my noir group of players, generation Grigor, but he's now flying the flag. He's he's seeded thirteen, and. I wonder if we might get uh, a repeat of the warm-up tournament final between Runa and Dimitrov. Uh, Now, you've also got in Medvedev's section of the draw, you've got Auger Aliasin, although he's got a first-round match against Dominic Team, and I'm not sure that that Felix is is battle-ready yet. And you have Davidovich Fokina in Medvedev's section. And if he stays healthy, he could become the ATP version of Yelena Ostapenko, someone who is a human hand grenade who can detonate part of the draw where he is. So is Medvedev uh, a shoe in to make the quarterfinals? No. In, in terms of pedigree, you'd, you'd think he likely would. But in terms of the draw that he has... And and to a certain extent, the the fact that he's he's not yet fully shown that he's he's back to the consistent form, I'm not sure. On the other side, uh, Holger Rune, now with Boris Becker uh, in his camp, and and Becker has had some coaching success in the past. His uh, potential seeded opponents are Ubi Hercats, who's the ninth seed, Umber and Talon Greek And and Runa's the big question, one of the big question marks for 2024. Uh if if any player from his grouping is going his age grouping is going to challenge Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner for major titles in the next decade to come, I think Runa is is the best prospect there. Is this the season that he puts it together for a full season, or does he show up in one or two tournaments and fail to show up in in, in other ones? So, big question mark there. That's one of the storylines for me on the ATP side of the draw coming into the Australian Open this year.
1: Let's uh, you know, so lots lots to chew on with uh, Runa uh and also uh alcaraz and zverev let's talk about uh two of the, the non-Novak Djokovic top four seeds uh Danil Medvedev Yannick Center pretty clear storylines with these guys you know medvedev uh trying to get that elusive second major title I mean and and you know you know as well as I, I do that when you win a second major that alone for any for any tennis professional who's able to achieve it that right there stamps you at at a different level uh compared to one-time major champions because no one can ever then call you the one hit wonder um winning that second major confers a different level of status and prestige and medvedev's come very close but hasn't been able to nail it down and you know we're aware that you know he won a clay uh 1000 point tournament Last year in Rome, uh, pigs were flying uh, at the four zero Italico yeah, exactly. and uh, you know never thought that day would come. And Medvedev then made the Wimbledon semifinals as well. So like he's he's shown chops on all surfaces, but we still I think are inclined to think that uh, if he's going to win an- another major, it's still more likely to come on hard court than not. And that raises the question. You know, it, it's not just a Medvedev specific question it applies to other players as well but like you know if they're going to win a major it's going to ha- happen at x you know it's going to happen in melbourne or paris or sw19 or new york um how important is it for danil medvedev uh, you know to uh break through at this tournament and and you know we we saw him respond very poorly to his australian open heartbreak against rafa 2 years ago in 2022 Last year, he had a disappointing uh, exit, but he rebounded from that in the spring. Um, how much do you think this Australian Open tournament is a tone setter for Danil Medvedev in 2024?
0: The, the two tournaments that that you'd think that he's got underlined three times uh, in, in, in Black Ink are the Australian Open and the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open. Uh, he he's he he was a finalist against Nadal and uh, famously worked the crowd in that tournament. Uh, kind of his his sort of coming out time, and then beat Djokovic to to head off what would have been a, cl- a calendar year Grand Slam, one in in straight sets there. So yes. Uh, he's shown that, that he can stand up through several matches in, on clay uh, and you know, can show up at Wimbledon so long as uh, Russian and Belarusian players are allowed to. But the hard, court, uh, the hard courts are where it's at. He's not that old as a tennis player. Uh, born in 1996, he'll turn uh, 28 this year so he's he's got three or four more years of uh competition ahead of him at least um i wonder though if players are beginning to figure him out i think his his unusual style you know, emphasizing movement uh you know emphasizing uh Keeping the ball in play from deep, acting as a wall. I wonder if in in 2000, in twenty twenty three, people weren't starting to figure out the right way to to play on Medvedev. So does that mean that he's going un, un, unless he unless he changes some things in his own game? Is that something that that is going to find him out in the next two or three years or so? For Yannick Sinner. Uh twenty twenty three, I think that when you and I have talked about Yannick, our sense has been that he, he's a younger player, he's a player on the rise, and his his coaches, particularly Darren Cahill, who I think very much sees things as process and uh take your time to get to where you're going to be which is one of the great players of the next decade or so his coaches will have been satisfied with with 2023 but a a big asterisk I think for coming into this tournament and potentially 2024 is that he looked in the world tour finals as if if any player had figured out how to play Novak Djokovic in big tournaments, Sinner was going to put his name up there along with Carlos Alcaraz. And both Alcaraz and Sinner were comprehensively dismantled by Novak at the semi-final and final of the the year-end championships. So, Sinner is one of the players who I've got a, a, a check mark against to, to make the quarterfinals. And I think he is now such a strong player that both Carlos and Novak will have looked to the draw sheet and said, mm, where's Yannick? And Alcaraz's eyebrows would have gone up with a little bit of pleasure and Novak might have just mm, frowned a little bit to see that Novak and, and Yannick are uh, seeded to meet at the semi final stage. I, Sinner for me, I is someone who I actually would expect to to make it to a semi final. And if he doesn't, I'm I'm now at the stage with with Yannick Sinner where if he doesn't make the semi final, I'm going to think mm, that's a miss.
1: And I think with Sinner, you know, he he definitely made some forward strides in 2023 no question about it but we also have to keep in mind with center that you know he collected a lot of results in the post u.s open portion of the year and i am always fascinated by players who make that late season push you know when you know a lot of other players are either tired or are out of it and you know just with the regard to the uh, atp finals uh you know Djokovic did not play a heavy schedule later in the year so he was fresh coming into that tournament uh whereas Sinner had been playing for several weeks you know to boost his ranking he'd played a lot of tennis now that we re- get that reset from the off season at the Australian Open and we look at the the possibility of another uh Sinner Djokovic match it would be in the semifinals um what do you think the expectations should be for Sinner if he goes up against Djokovic uh, at, at a major tournament because that's been the that's been the barrier he has not been able to surmount, and you know Djokovic is still the top dog. So like this gives us a segue into the Djokovic conversation uh, entering 2024. You know should should Sinner expect to beat Djokovic and 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 how do you think Darren Cahill is? is managing that kind of expectation uh, in terms of process, as you alluded to, you know, is it, is it just about, you know, what, think less about Djokovic and trying to, um, you know, notch that that breakthrough. Think more about just playing the way you're supposed to play and, and, and making the adjustments you need to make to evolve the point where you become a better player. How do you think uh sinner himself and also, Team center, meaning Darren Cahill, are handling that question uh, as they entered the Australian Open.
0: If we get that far, and it, it is a big if, I, I know that during the the halcyon days of the Big Three, we'd we'd, lo- we'd pour over draw sheets and and think about who had the the better draw, and then by about the round sixteen, sometimes there was devastation in the draw. But in the the big three, big four era, y- you did very often see the top seeds make it to the the final weekend. So, so let's pencil in a, a Djokovic-Sinner match. I think my my immediate impression after the the World Tour final final match between Sinner and Djokovic was that Yannick didn't show up, and. I decided that I was going to prove that to myself by watching the match over and and writing down what happened on every point. I actually got my Excel spreadsheet out and I went, went over each of the points. And you, know, to my surprise, it's often something where you, you watch a match and you come away with one impression, you watch it a second time and you get a different impression. What really stood out to me was how high a, a level Novak played at for about 80% of the match and I I, I don't think he gave Yannick a, a, a look in at all in that match now possibly that's because uh, he and coach Goran had taken a look at their round robin match and figured out okay I need to make some adjustments and it had brought that to the table but I think it was the case that Yannick didn't play badly in that match Novak played extraordinarily well so quite likely coach Cahill and others have have basically said hey well done mate he was just too good that's you know that match is done on to the next one and they'll be trying to to get Sinner in a frame of mind if he's five matches into the tournament if Novak's five matches into the tournament assuming both of them are healthy then it's what you said already, Matt. How do I execute? How do I do what I know I can do well consistently? How do I figure out how to play points that are potentially going to put Novak in a situation where he's not feeling as comfortable? If I do that and lose, then tip your cap. Uh, and big handshake at the net. Good luck in the final, and on you go. So, so I'm expecting that that with Cahill and and others in in his camp, Yannick is, isn't really a, a a flashy player. He's not a glamorous player. He's he Holger Rune is is I think more volatile, more excitable, and Sinner is able already i think he's he's got a couple of years on on runa and he's able to just focus on here's what i can do here's what i can influence if i do it and i prevail great if i if i do the best that i can and the other fella plays better than me tip your cap onto the next tournament all
1: right Final question, Andrew, as we wrap up our uh, Australian Open preview uh, here at Tennis with an Accent, um, and, and it's a kind of question I've tossed to you many times in the past, uh, b- right before a major tournament. Djokovic or Alcaraz versus the field? If I uh, laid that out to you, how would you come down on that one?
0: I'd come down on the field, I think. Um I don't. I. I. I would expect both of them to to make the quarterfinals. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them makes a final. I think Alcaraz uh, is starting to move towards the second stage of his career, where he's expected now to to make semifinals, and if he falls before then. It, it, it's surprising so yes uh, if you had a Djokovic Alcaraz final, everyone would say this is the dream final um, but I, I, I honestly don't think that you can look at this draw and say we can write those two names in ink and the, the one of them is, is um, all but certain to be lifting the trophy, the Australian Open each year uh often throws up someone really unexpected uh i looking we 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 didn't go through all of the various different seeds i'm still wondering is is francis is this going to be uh a tournament at which francis tiafo makes his first grand slam final that that's a possibility uh we already mentioned that uh, the the now, um, gosh, he must be only thirty-two or so, but but still handsome, but aging. Grigor Dimitrov is this is this his chance to make a first final? So yes, I I would pick the field over Djokovic or Alcaraz, and then be ready to be proved wrong.
1: I would just come at that point with. Uh, the belief that, you know, I think Zverev could definitely take out Alcaraz in the quarters. Uh, I think Zverev might be ready to make a move after, you know, kind of regrouping uh, in 2023. So I am not convinced Alcaraz makes it, but but I am firmly convinced that, you know, this, this has been Djokovic's signature major, um, you know, for all the well-documented reasons that, you know, you have, you play night finals, more, more nighttime tennis, you know, he's he's not exposed to the sun uh very much. Like that's that's just been something where Novak Djokovic consistently plays well uh at night, uh when he's comparatively more shielded from the elements and of course he's physically fresh. Um I I still think that this tournament in general lines up for him, and I think that the draw also lines up for him, you know, with Sitsipas in the quarters, uh center in the semis. Like, he has the the, the, the good path uh, to get to the final. And then, of course, once he is able to get in the final, literally no one in men's tennis has been better than him at winning major finals. So it's going to be fascinating. Uh, Andrew, very much looking forward to your tweets, your insights throughout the fortnight. We're obviously going to be talking to you again before too long. Enjoy the fortnight in Melbourne. And thanks for being with us on the Tennis with an Accent Uh, Australian Open preview show. We really appreciate
0: it. Thanks a lot Matt. Looking forward to it.
1: Thank you.